You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, or the years thereof. It's coming. First, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card, and you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. And now, Emeritus Rex. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Popko, back for many weeks away from his perch in Montreal at Beth Israel Beth Aaron. Rabbi Popko, you've been globetrotting, but not necessarily in the way James Bond did it in so many films. You've gone to some very austere and difficult places, I know that you went on the March of the Living uh, as some, uh, a, a trek that you are familiar with, but with some young people who, the way you describe it to me, were, were not able to go in the years 2020 and 2021 because of COVID. I, I, and technically, it's not the March of the Living. March of the Living refers to one trip and one trip only, the trip that goes right after Pesach. Uh, this was a March of the Living-like trip for the kids who had missed the March of the Living Due to two years of COVID and the year in the war in Ukraine, so we did you know, three age cohorts were the source of of, of these kids. Uh, they're now in university here in in Montreal. Uh, we had three buses of kids, about 150 kids. Uh, it was a remarkable trip. I have to tell you that uh, what remains for me the most moving part of any of these journeys is the reaction of young people because. We tend to be very cynical about our the next generation. We tend to be pessimistic about the future. And remember, these are kids, none of whom would you call uh, orthodox. Many of them have very little uh, Jewish education, and they don't have the vocabulary that traditional Jews possess or, or some of the knowledge or much of the knowledge. But I have to tell you, the um, uh, the Jewish heart is still there, and they are remarkably impacted by what they see and what they hear. Uh, they take it very seriously, and it has a profound impact on them. When it was clear that the Allied forces were going to be victorious and liberate these camps, the evil Nazis who were still running it wanted to sort of like get one last element of, of sadism in, and they forced, they opened up these camps, and they forced the inmates to go on a death march, right? They were, they were, they were meant to walk. They were marching from Poland into Germany, yeah. Poland into Germany. And this was a way, although they realized that they, they had lost, at least they could take some Jews down in this ugly, terrible way. 
And when uh, this was conceived of, it was sort of like Zelu Mazen, that we were going to go on that walk and we were going to actually, as a proud people with a, with our own Medina, with, with freedom, and to recognize what had occurred. But is, is it really a lot of walking? There is a, uh, a march that in which all of the people in the march participate. So it's thousands and thousands of young people together with their adult uh, chaperones and Holocaust survivors. When they march from Auschwitz to, to uh, Birkenau, it takes about an hour, an hour. It, it takes actually a very long time. It takes longer than that. It takes a few hours, three hours actually from beginning to end because of the numbers of people. But if you were if you were to walk it on your own, if you were to walk it on your own, it wouldn't take more than a half an hour. No. Mm-hmm. So really, it's it's this slow, solemn parade, as it would be, and to sort of soak in in those slow steps that you're taking, and to relive what it meant for your grandparents or great grandparents or distant cousins to have gone through this. I guess, I guess that was the original idea of why they called it. Again, th- that element, the original trigger uh, for the format, for the marching, I'm not sure if even most of, if, if most of the participants are even aware that the March of the Living original idea was to be a corrective, I guess is a good word, a tikkun, for the, uh, for the death marches. I'm not even sure people are aware of that anymore, honestly. So, 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 so again, I, I think, you know, I, I have a point here. So because it's sort of developing now in my head, because of the usual state of affairs, it would be many people crowded, walking together. So, right. uh, so with the travel restrictions, and as you said, with the war, this was an impossibility for, oh, for three years. For I mean, it was, hey, it was canceled. I mean, uh, you know, people right. weren't traveling. In those right. So these young people you were so impressed by, they're a little bit older than the groups you took, like a couple of years older. And right. Mark, Mark Twain famously said that when I was 18, I thought my father was a complete idiot. It's amazing that when I was 21, how smart he became. So, you know, there is something about those years. And you, you, so you were actually going with 21-year-olds. Did you find there, you said they were moved. Did you find an, a greater aspect of maturity with them? Very, very uh, stark difference. Uh, two, three years post high school uh, is, is uh, they're remarkably more mature and thoughtful. Also, you have to keep in mind that kids who go to high school, it's not necessarily their initiative that they're going. You know, parents, uh, friends are going. At this age, overwhelmingly, they've decided to take two weeks out of their summer vacation. So it's a uh, so it's a very different kind of group. It's uh, they're much more serious. They're much more thoughtful, and uh, it, it's uh, it's a different experience. Very different. And, and how many uh, concentration camps did you end up actually visiting? We were in Auschwitz Birkenau. We were in Treblinka. We were in Majdanek. We also visited mass graves outside of Tikuchin in a place called Lapachava, the mass grave outside of Tarnow, which is called Zibaglastagura. Uh, so, but I, I, but again. I, ha- I have to emphasize this. One of the things we in Montreal are proud of is how is 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 the, is what we've how we manage the march, and, and this is very important. And let me go back to a, you know to our tradition. After the Corbin, after the base of was destroyed, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai instituted uh, rituals on two separate and distinct tracks. Uh, there were rituals established Zechel Chorban 
of which we are all very familiar to remember the destruction, but he also established things that were Zechel and Migdash. Those are two very different things. And sadly, with the March of the Living and much Holocaust uh, memory and, and Yom HaShoah events, there is an enormous emphasis on Zechel and Chorban, but too often little attention is paid to Zechel and Migdash. Because in, in, in the result of that is that the six million are remembered for one thing and one thing only, what was done to them and, uh, and, the, and the victimization. Instead of remembering how they lived, the communities they built and the values they live for. The trips from Montreal, whether it's the March of the Living or the trip uh, just came back from, we, we, with one exception, we begin every day with Jewish life, every single day. In other words, we will not go to Maidanic without having first visited Yeshivat Chachmei Lublin, without visiting the Yeshiva. We will not visit Plashov camp outside of Krakow without first visiting the Ramashul in the Jewish quarter. Uh, we will not in Warsaw, talk about the ghetto and anything else before we visit the cemetery in Warsaw, which is the one place in all of Poland that looks normal. It's a normal cemetery. And to discuss the lives of the great figures buried there, uh, whether it's Reb Chaim, whether it's Siv, or the Chem de Shloyme, or, uh, or, or the myriad Gerarebis who are there, the Mojits is there, and uh, secular figures like Adam Chernikov and, and others, we will not, you know, talk about the death till we talk about the life. And, and that's something I'm very proud of. Right, yes, and that's, I know it's a theme that you've um, emphasized here in our uh, simulating conversations. What about, I know that you, you end up going to Eretz Yisrael after that, right? It's not supposed to be just yes. your, right? So uh, how was the trip to Eretz Yisrael with... Uh, well, listen, there are a few days. We're there about five days in Israel. You know, listen, after the very emotional... Uh, experience of Poland and how draining it is, and sometimes an overload of of knowledge and and and, and passions. Uh, Israel is just a relief. It's honestly, in other words, it's, it's it's a time to go to Ben Yehuda to, um, yeah, to, to enjoy the restaurants and this. I mean, we do some serious stuff, but it's really we just want them to have a positive experience and want to go back. Right. Yeah. Now, no, you are a, a great leader of men. There's no question about it. The emeritus Rex himself. But you, you didn't do this alone. You didn't do this alone. You had you had some people with you. Right. Uh, other oh, guys. Of course. No, there's a huge infrastructure. I have to say the Marshall. By the way, if I, if I, you know, I might be wrong about this, but every community in North America canceled the march the last three years, but we're the only community to do a makeup trip for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we deserve, so our federation deserves a lot of credit. Yes, so yes. We have, we have some federation staff, we have other people going, we mm-hmm. have a whole cadre of lay people who act as chaperones. It's a lot of people going, yeah. Okay, so you had a number of people with you from the Montreal community. That we had some wonderful with. educators from Israel join us. Yes, and, and we've, talk, we've talked about, of course, the guides in Poland themselves, that are have, have proved themselves priceless in terms of their knowledge, and we've talked about that that very interesting phenomena. Did you, since you were shepherding this group and you were so you know focused on your task, which you do so admirably, were you able to soak in some some of the turmoil that we've discussed about uh, what's happened in Eretz Yisrael? I had an opportunity to talk to good friends who are very knowledgeable about internal Israeli. Uh, politics is a dynamic. At least when I was there, they were guardedly optimistic that this judicial reform thing would be mostly shelved. 
things are still going on today with the appointments of the selection committee. You know, I, I can't speak more knowledge. I do want to say that Gershon was on record for being not aggressive in this way and for trying to find yeah. compromise. No, Gershon was a great guttle and he was a normal. Well, the main thing is, I, I, I don't know if his fearlessness will be replicated because too often today it's the tail wagging the dog where uh, people are frightened from the Kanayim and afraid to in any way, any way depart from the most radical of uh, of positions that are articulated in the name of Torah, and uh, and people are afraid of being criticized. And uh, and Rav Gershon was uh, yeah, Rav Gershon, I think you know was uh, he did not aspire to the role that was eventually placed on him. But I think after his death, I think as more authentic aspects of him become well known, I think he can serve as a beacon, as a model for that type of moderation and understanding. I suggest our listeners take advantage of what's on our platform and others. Well, and that moderation is character, as mostly characterized Panovich. I mean, if not... Right. Again, Panovich, I think, is, is all about excellence and learning, but also excellence and learning comes from having a, a moderate and broad base understanding of what Claudius role in Judaism is. And I think it's all part of one piece Again, it just goes against the canard that everybody who's in the yeshiva is some sort of ayatollah. You asked about uh, uh, something that's happened on our shores. I only know about this from one of our listeners who sent me the letter from Rav Aaron Lichtenstein's son, uh, Yitzi Lichtenstein, who is now the Rosh Yeshiva of Tervedas. During these weeks, Rabbi Putko, or the three weeks begin, there is not only weddings, but many of these institutions have their dinners and their uh, annual programs. And the, the big 900-pound gorilla institution of yeshiva in America, of course, Lakewood, had to have its program. And its program, of course, couldn't just be in one of the many uh, sterling halls that, that are in Lakewood, uh, the beautiful wedding halls, beautiful places. No, this had to be a, a, a type of Area. This had to be in an arena, and it was in actually the uh, it was in the Philadelphia uh, Flyers, the Philadelphia Arena, where the Philadelphia Flyers and I believe the 76ers played as well. It was a huge event honoring the Lakewood Yeshiva and especially to raise money for its koilo. And one of the attendees who had come from Eric Sisrol became an Ovel, Nebuch, losing his son in Eretz Yisrael while he was in America. And Simchabunim Cohen Haskin for him that he should, he's someone who's irreplaceable and we need him to come to this event, which was not just to sit at a stodgy dinner, but as these events have mimicked Haredi uh, events in Eretz Yisrael, it had music, it had a, a, a lavishness. Uh, again, listen, it, it was... Listen, I'm not going to comment on the Pesach. Everyone else has commented on it already. But the reality is that this has to do with the competition between two great Torah scholars. I shouldn't say between them. I'm sure it's not between them. Between different wealthy Balabatim who are each pushing their own candidate. But it has to do with a, a battle between two camps as to who will replace Gershon Edelstein. From what I understand, 
There, there, there are two Gvirma whose names I won't mention, each one pushing either Bergman or, or Landau to really be the replacement for Gershon Edelstein. And the way it's been explained to me is that as vibrant as is the Torah world in, uh, in, in Israel, they are enormously impressed by who impresses Americans. So in other words, so this, since this was the great American event of the great American yeshiva, it was important for Rabbi they Bergman, thought, they thought. For yeah. Bergman to sort of take a, 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 a cobbled together, really with spit and chewing gum sock, to allow him to attend this momentous event, which was crucial for American as, as, a, way to, as a way to strengthen his street cred in B'nai Brock. Yeah, in other words, the Amer- American Jewry, where the money is coming from, have right. to recognize Rav Bergman as the next Godel, so he needs to show up at Lakewood's Philadelphia experience. If anything, I would suspect this may have hurt his chances. So this actually put, this actually puts another uh, spin on what Yitzhi Lichtenstein wanted. The Rosh Hashiva. Right. Now, so here's my, here's my what point. he wanted to do was burst this whole balloon. When I went to Yeshiva with you, we were blessed to be together in Yeshiva. One of the uh, cultural uh, assumptions of the Yeshiva world was that their Rosh Hashivas were pristine and pious. They were unaffected. By uh, by money, by balabatim, they were above the fray. Whatever they spoke, it was untainted by any form of self-interest, and they were the paragons of virtue, and therefore worthy of being the leaders not only of their schools but of the Jewish people. In contrast to rabbis, who the very word was spoken as if you were discussing a plumber as opposed to rabbis who are, of course, nothing but the toadies of Balabatim. And they have Balabatim. They have Balabatim, they answer to. They have Balabatim. But we, Rosh Hashivas, we don't have Balabatim. We are above the fray. We are pristine and holy. And what it's come out to is that a man left Shiva for his son, right? He went, he traveled to this stadium for an event during Shiva, right? During Shiva, something you would never matter your a balabas who asked you a child, right? Why? Because a wealthy balabas is pushing him to be Gershon Edelstein's replacement and not Dove Landau. Two camps of extraordinarily wealthy balabatim, right? I should say one balabas on each side, great funders of Torah in America and in Israel, for which they deserve our undying gratitude. But I have never in my life known a rabbi to leave a shiva, right? Because a balabas asked him to go somewhere. But I, we now have a Rosh Hashiva doing it. So from my very narrow welder perspective, it is astonishing the degree to which, right, the narrative of the Yeshiva world has been completely debunked. Yeah. It is rabbis and rabbinic okay. who were always the historical leaders of the Jewish people and not people whose only experience in life is teaching 19-year-olds. You're not just uh, looking for information. I think that you, you bring to the table a certain predisposition within your narrow perspective. What I would say is that we don't know enough. Obviously, there are precedents to leave a shiva, to lead a community, to give shiurim that nobody else can give except yourself. This was a fundraising event. No, no. I I agree with Yitzhi Lichtenstein that he was not necessary. But there is a framework 
that allows even a person to leave Shiva for his child if the Tzarech Harabim, if it's something that he is irreplaceable for, if it's something that he must do. And you know, Hilchas Avelis, which is the bread and butter of rabbis like yourselves, you know that there are certain exceptions. I think this could be a, a case where the halachic basis of it sounds flimsy, but we haven't heard both sides, despite the fact that, again, Yitzhi Lichtenstein's arguments sound very convincing. I, I don't want to discuss the Pesach. I would never question the Pesach. What I am questioning is that the catalyst for this question being asked was the intense interest of one wealthy Balabas to present his candidate, right, versus Rabbi Landau for uh, the, uh, the the title Gadol Hadar. I mean, the very idea that there's competition for this title is bizarre to me. It was always an organic process by which the person was universally recognized. This was not a the college. Perhaps. I don't know how organic it was. I think, you know, you know that uh, Braun, uh, I think the author of the book, Makhazanish, has written a number of essays as, as, as far as how the process has happened, uh, how Rebel Yoshev became uh, the Rosh Medabrim, how Rav Steinman and the power sharing that occurred between Rav Steinman and Rav Gersh Adotin. It has been uh, developed and spoken about. So I'm not sure if it's uh, organic, organically understood. Right. I think there are elbows that need to be pushed and other people put in the Nobody background. voted for Ramosha. No wealthy Balabas campaign. But, but remember, America in the 1960s and 70s is very different than what's happening in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, you have a, 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 a very strong population of Gedele Taira. And as we've mentioned before, the the unanticipated longevity of the leadership it was you know again with Gershon living to a hundred his 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 uh, his Ponovich, of course from Shach living to a hundred and and so therefore I, I, the stew is extremely murky and I, I still think there's a little more integrity here than of course the type of political grandstanding that goes on and dealing wheeling and dealing that happens for our leaders here in the United States, the fact that there should be some what you call underhanded stuff and people pushing their person, I'm not sure if we should be so surprised. But but what happened after the war uh, was that an entire generation, if not more, were destroyed of Urbana. And in that vacuum, particularly in America, and even in Israel, in that vacuum leapt the Rosh Hashiva where traditional leadership in the Eastern European Jewish communities was never, was never associated with people. And again, I mean, I still remember, you know, from my childhood, watching people I knew to be old, you know, people like Rabbi Savitsky in Boston, uh, my, my, my late uncle, uh, my, 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 uh, my late uncle, Rabbi Pupko, and my father, uh, blessed memory, have people like Rabbi Price in Toronto, Rabbi, real old, style Rabbanim, and I know how they spoke about the Rosh Hashivas. Okay, even the greatest Rosh Hashivas. They didn't, they saw the world had been turned upside down, that American life was where these Rosh Hashivas were the ones, you know, walking astride the Torah world when it was traditionally Rabbanim, and they would disparage and refer to the Rosh Hashivas as Malamdim. You know, Rabbi, look, let's not get caught in the weeds here. I think that what, what I take out of it and I think I'm surprised that's not where you're going, is that why does Lakewood 
need this tremendous event in the first place? Why does there need to be the Idira Torah event? Why does there need to be a renting out of the Philadelphia Coliseum? I don't know how much money it costs to bring Rob Bergman over. All of that could have been funded to Younger Light and for many needy events. The same way during COVID, as we talked, as we started our program, things went on and people sent money in without dinners. I'm not sure why we still need to... to I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the fund. I, I do know is they raised the amount of money they give the Younger Light in, in, in Lakewood. They raised it dramatically. They need to raise millions of dollars every month. And- right. And, 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 and this, is, this is really another phenomenon that 10 years ago, the Younger Light were getting paid a pittance. Now the Younger Light are getting a lot more money and they need to raise so much more money. And therefore yeah. they felt the CEOs of Lakewood felt that they needed this gigantic event called Adire Torah and, and bring everybody in, which is really, again, Eretz Yisrael influencing us. The Haredim and Eretz Yisrael have, you know, they need these big events, these big uh, events of these, those, these lavish things where pomp and ceremony somehow generate something. I, I, that's what I am disgusted by. I'm not surprised that there's some jostling about who is going to be the next Manig and who should speak for Degelat Torah and who should, et cetera. Whether we need these things in order, like Hakel, like the Rambam says, we need this in order to inspire us. I'll, 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 I'll let, let me even agree to the Rambam, but it's only every seven years. Right. And it's an event that has everybody in Klausrow, as opposed to every year, one of these spectaculars that needs to happen. You might say, well, Siamashas is every seven years. Okay, I'll grant that. But the, to, to, to do this year in and year out and to create a, such a, a, an event, I'm not exactly sure. Again, I don't know the, the ins and outs of fundraising. But it would seem I could like, say that it does not reflect the value of Hatzneilech. Look, if you would, ha- you have a great product. You have the best. You have the most important yeshiva in America. You shouldn't need to 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 be matriach people to come from Eretz Yisrael to sit in a stadium for four or five hours and then fight the traffic back. Let's end today with, uh, I guess, I mean, so much has happened since we've spoken last. You know, <laughs> you know, the people who have passed on. And people who have been indicted, what do you think? What is your sense that uh, Trump is going to fall with these indictments? I don't know. It's uh, un- you know unprecedented is an overused word, but it's certainly unprecedented for federal charges to be filed against the former president. Lawyers, lawyers who have read the 37 pages, which is not so much to read, have said the case seems quite strong. So here's the question. There are those who believe it's not because of the Presidential Records Act, which which seems to grant some latitude to a former president. However, uh, you know, people, listen, people have mishandled documents before, Mike Pence, Joe Biden, uh, no question. But these are people who, when it was discovered, came forward and gave everything up. Trump is busy scurrying around his bathroom and his showers. And, and, and telling people to move it. And the question is, well, to what end? What was the purpose of this? What did he it was gaining? It was it, it was it that important to be able to wave confidential papers around at, at dinners? I mean, was it ego? The the self inflicted wounds of, of of Donald Trump. You know everything from the you know how he dealt with James Comey, keeping him on, then firing him, and then contradicting the attorney general as to the reason 
for the firing. You'll remember that, right? And and, and all of that was self-inflicted. That's what triggered the special prosecutor. And, and all of that and the two years of stupidity over the hoax of the Russian collusion and all of that. It was, but all of this is self-inflicted, all of it. Again, you want, how, why does he do all these things to inflict himself? Why is he so, why does he shoot himself in the foot? Do you believe that Donald Trump is, is a person of, of great intelligence? Don't you, when you look in the mirror, think that you are Donald Trump's intellectual superior three or four times over? I, you know, I can certainly concede the point that he's, that, that he's, he's not Albert Einstein. However, when you get subpoenas... You don't have to be a genius to understand that you're violating the subpoena and lying, that you might get yourself in some hot water. Uh, I don't understand. And, and to what end? There's no benefit for him. If he is convicted and Biden and he have a little conversation or Biden will pardon him if he decides not to run, uh, that might be a very uh, a, a wonderful ending for this, that uh, Trump doesn't sit in jail. But Trump, yeah, it's hard to. I don't know. Listen, the legal process doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't always uh, move as quickly as we would want it to. So I don't know if that'll happen. But you know, it, it's just astonishing the self-destructive impulse of, of Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, you know, it's. I, I, I wish, think wish that... a Mazel Tov. His granddaughter had a bus mitzvah last week. Uh, <laughs> Arabelle in uh, in Florida. Wish uh, Jared and Ivanka a Mazel Tov. Yes. Very nice. May she grow to be a, a wonderful. I spoke to somebody who was there. Apparently, the food was very good. <laughs> Mazel tov to her. Take care, everybody. We will catch you hopefully next time. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.